Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. Most women who choose not to parent viscerally reject adoption as an option. They say they could never give their baby away. They report that the thought of their baby being out in the world without knowing if it was being taken care of or by whom would induce more guilt than having an abortion. And the people that advise them, their family members, medical professionals, reinforce this abandonment narrative. Fifty years ago this weekend, the U.S. Supreme Court issued the Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion in all nine months of pregnancy, removing any state-level restrictions. Then this past summer, 49 years later, the Supreme Court overturned Roe, meaning states can restrict abortion. While abortion is still legal in many parts of the U.S., many states do have restrictions in place. Gabe, this has been a long battle. Many estimate over 60 million children 60 million children. If you think about 49 years old and under, so millennials, some of Gen X and Gen Z, you're talking about 60 million individuals that don't exist in our society today because of abortion. And this is a moment worth celebrating. And I know there's a lot of conversations about what we need to do now, how we can show up more. That's certainly been a conversation we've been a part of for over 17 years at Q Ideas. It's how do we help people in these situations so we reduce abortion. But this is a moment. This is a moment worth celebrating for Christians and for those who have prayerfully been bringing this to God and saying this is unjust. This has been a horrible thing in our society. It's an awful thing that we've just endured and even gotten complacent and used to. And now it's being removed from the laws and it's being pushed back to the states. And you probably know by now, several states are going to continue to outlaw it. Others are going to still allow it. But I just think it's a moment to give thanks to God for his faithfulness, for something that was unjust, that literally was murdering and killing so many children to now be something that's much harder for that to take place. And so, of course, there are many more things to be done. There's a lot of work the church has been doing. I think the church has been doing a great job of coming around and helping in the issues of foster care and adoption and doing so much work. Our faith communities do so much work in our society to help solve these problems socially. And that work's just going to continue and has to continue. And so the topic we're talking about today gets right into that. When we hosted our culture summit, we had a talk called Adoption is an Option, understanding that the Roe v. Wade decision was coming and that there was a chance that it could get overturned. We wanted to put our energy towards, well, what can be done? How do we be a part of helping alleviate the challenges that so many mothers feel, so many people and families feel about whether they can afford to have a child or whether their circumstances are such that they don't want to bring another child into the world and they don't realize that adoption 
is an option. I know our family has adopted, and it's been a beautiful, a beautiful transition into our home. A little girl from China who, at five years old, moved into our family, and of course, it's disruptive. Of course, it changes all the dynamics. But it's been a beautiful invitation. I know for our family. Into a new journey with God and helping us walk that out, and she has been such a delight. And I know there are so many challenging stories. We have so many friends who've adopted as well, where it doesn't always go as smoothly as you'd hope, and there are challenges. And this is part of what it looks like to be part of a kingdom, part of people who are willing to sacrifice, who are willing to go through some suffering and do different things and rare things just to help other people and to help these children have a life. But in the conversation and talk that you're going to hear today, we're going to dig into what does it look like to consider adoption as an option? And how do we create more access for adoption? How do we tell that story so that more and more people consider it for their families, and that more and more new moms and people who have just found out that they are pregnant can then understand this is a real legitimate option. I know in our family as well with our son with Down syndrome, who's 21 years old now, that there are so many families in the U.S. that want to adopt children with Down syndrome. Okay, before we get to the talk from this past Springs Culture Summit on Adoption is an Option First, we want to invite everyone to the Culture Summit coming up this spring in Nashville and virtually. That's where we seek to join together, to listen, to think well, and help advance good in our communities around many issues like abortion and other life-related topics. Learn more now at qideas.org slash 2023. Again, qideas.org slash 2023. We hope you can join us there. And secondly, Gabe, you just mentioned the issue of children who are born with genetic defects like Down syndrome. Often such children are aborted. But Gabe, as a parent of a child with Downs, you know the joy that they are and how they are lives worth living. So before we hear from Elizabeth Kirk, we have time. So let's go back about six years to a talk we featured here with Heather Avis. She wrote a book about Down syndrome and adoption back then called The Lucky Few. In it, she shares her story of adoption and finding out that our plans are not like God's plans. So let's listen to a segment of your conversation, Gabe, with Heather as she talks about advocating for the vulnerable, cheering on one another, and loving those with special needs. For the listeners who just have never met you before, haven't had the opportunity to hear you speak, or or just know anything about your story, I kind of want to start there at the beginning and just let them get to know a little bit about who you are and kind of, you know, there's a long story that's led up to this moment. Just catch us up a little bit on that. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, if we want to go way, way back, I was born 1981, November 11th. um, And I grew up in a pretty small little town in California. Fast forward years, met my husband in high school, although we weren't high school sweethearts by any means, but we did meet when we were that young. And then we did get married very young. Um, We'll celebrate 15 years this year. And he and I just had a plan for our lives. It would be one thing. I was going to be a teacher. He's a graphic designer. We'd have a few kids. Life would go on. Um, and that isn't exactly how it played out. So we ended up trying to have kids after being married for a few years and just found out that we wouldn't be able to naturally. Um, that set us in this like whirlwind of infertility, which is just a pretty brutal place to find yourself. Um, for those listeners who have been there, it's one of those things you don't know it until you know it. And there's really no way to relate unless you've been in it. And then that led us to a crossroads of in vitro fertilization or adoption. And we felt like IVF was not something we could really handle 
at that time. And so adoption was the next best thing. I mean, the, at, the end goal was to have kids and we recognized that there's more than one way for that to happen. So we ended up pursuing an adoption and we wanted a healthy infant, went with like expensive agency, um, local here in California. And I mean, long story short, we get this email about children with Down syndrome and Down syndrome was never in the cards for us initially. That was just not going to be something that would happen in our lives. And we, it was one of those moments with, it felt like it was definitely God just like interrupting our lives and we didn't want him to. So we didn't go in like heroes. I think people often hear our story that we've adopted kids with Down syndrome and all that. And they think, wow, you're such a hero. It's like, no, no, no. We went in this like fist up, not right. We were really resistant, you know, like we weren't into it at first, but um, by God's grace, we just kept stepping towards that. So we ended up adopting a little girl with Down syndrome. She had a congenital heart defect and pulmonary hypertension and all these health issues. And we brought her home and we say she was our best. Yes. She was just such a gift to our lives. Yeah. And she opened the door for more adoptions. We adopted two more kids, including another kid with Down syndrome. So it's kind of like the very short, condensed version. Oh, man, I know. And then listen, this story is incredible. And, and I didn't do it justice by having you just summarize it because it's because <laughs> I know you've, you've hit so many important points uh, that so many of our listeners I know feel, you know, first off of the, the inability to get pregnant or to, the mm-hmm. infertility moment for so many couples can be really devastating, right? I mean, it can really wreak havoc in the marriage, questioning God. I mean, it just, you know, you sort of, all of us have these expectations about how life's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in a moment where, you know, it didn't happen the way you were thinking. For Rebecca and I, it was the moment our firstborn uh, was born, Cade, and and we didn't didn't know prior to his birth uh, that he was diagnosed with Down syndrome. And so we share that in common. And But it was a crisis moment. I was age 27. And I just remember, you know, you, you, you sort of go back to center. You go back to like, what's mm-hmm. what do I really believe? What's really mm-hmm. important? Mm-hmm. Uh, so for your journey, for you and your husband, I mean, that had to be a pretty incredible decision to move to say, hey, we're going to we're going to move from trying to have our own children that we're going to mm-hmm. uh, through normal process have ch- children. We're going to actually adopt like that was a huge decision. But then the next decision to say we're going to we're going to adopt somebody uh, with Down syndrome. There is this misperception that if you parent a child with Down syndrome, number one, your life's kind of over. You're not going right. to be able to pursue <laughs> anything other than just being this parent to this child. You know, and secondly, the life of your siblings is going to be mm-hmm. harder and more difficult. And man, for all the families we know and our own experience, um, sure, there's some challenges mm-hmm. as there is with any child. I mean, we have right. two other ch- typical children and, and we spend just as much energy and time helping yeah. them work through all kinds of issues as we do with Cade. Cade's actually the easiest. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and the other thing is, you know, I think for some listeners who don't have a child with special needs, um, which, you know, the, the numbers of parents with special needs is rising dramatically due mm-hmm. to autism and a lot of other things uh, in our society today. But but for those who don't have children in, in that situation, I think when they hear us say as parents, it's such a gift or mm-hmm. so special, they, they almost think we're playing some psychological trick on ourselves mm-hmm. so that we feel better about our situation. Huh, but, interesting. but you know, as well as I do, like this is reality, like truly it is a gift. Um, yeah. but it's hard to describe that to somebody who hasn't quite experienced it. How, how do you describe why it's such a gift and how it's been a gift in your life? Yeah, it's so interesting. I think in all things in life, like I said earlier about infertility, you can't know what you don't know. So when you're viewing it far away, 
it is you can't understand it if you're not living it. Um, I I always encourage people, it, and so then it's hard for me to describe how it's a gift besides describing it. Just that this is, I see life through a different lens. Um, we've had to slow down in the best ways with our kids. And just recognize that beauty is so much more than what society tries to tell us it is. That worth is, finding worth in humanity is so much greater than what society's tried to convince us that it is. I think our lives are richer because we have kids with Down syndrome. So you can say these things all day long, but you've got to have a relationship with somebody who, who has Down syndrome or a disability to really understand it and be in it. I try to tell people, you know, there's all these ideas about when a, when a mother gets an in utero diagnosis or an at birth diagnosis for a child with Down syndrome, then all this narrative plays out in their head. And it's like, where did that narrative come from? Because when I speak to people like you or people who are living the reality, it's not our narrative. You know what I mean? Right. And so, so then I think the only voices who should have a say in what it's like to have a child with Down syndrome are those of us who have children with Down syndrome. And you and I both know that the majority of us are saying, this is a gift. Well, again, this is Q Ideas, and that was just a portion of a conversation Gabe had on this show back in 2017 with Heather Avis, author of The Lucky Few. And as we think well about ways to work with those who we might disagree with about abortion now that Roe versus Wade has been overturned, when you bring up the issue of children with genetic defects like Downs, many feel it's best to abort them, Gabe, claiming that no one wants to adopt children with Downs, and really, that's just not true. In fact, there are long waiting lists for people who want to adopt children with Down syndrome. And part of that is because they understand that so many of these children have been aborted or terminated when in the womb they have been told as parents that their child's going to have this genetic disability. And the fear and the, the worry about what that life might look like will drive somebody to go, I don't know that that's best for me or my family or even for this child. Well, that's where the compassion comes out. And so many people saying, raising their hands and going, we want to adopt a child with Down syndrome. Those are the kind of success stories. We're going to need more and more of that. We need waiting lists of families who are going, we are willing to take a child into our home so that as children are born, this option is on the table and it becomes part of our public conversation about this issue of abortion and what we can do as we move forward. So I want to introduce you to who's going to be bringing this nine-minute talk, and it's Elizabeth Kirk. She's a researcher and lecturer at the Columbus School of Law at the Catholic University of America. She has her JD from Notre Dame and previously the Associate Director of the Notre Dame Center for Ethics and Culture, as well as roles at the University of Kansas and Ava Maria University. And I think what you're going to appreciate about Elizabeth, and she'll reference this slightly at the beginning of this talk, is she's also supporting a movement called the Opt Institute. And the Opt Institute is dedicated to helping more and more people understand that adoption is an option. It's an incredible website at optinstitute.org that shares so many stories of those who've been adopted, people you've heard of, but maybe you didn't realize their story is one of adoption and all part of a movement to help more and more people start to encounter adoption as an option. Let's listen in now. John and Lori are witnesses to the gift that adoption is and to the courage of their birth mothers. Adoption is also an integral part of who I am. I'm a law professor, I teach family law, and I have a special interest in adoption law and policy. 
But I'm also an adoptive mother. My husband and I have welcomed four children through adoption, three of whom uh, we welcomed at birth, um, and the littlest guy we adopted through foster care. And although my story is a bit different than John and Lori's, I was also adopted by my dad when I was very little. And his gift of fatherhood has enormously shaped who I am and quite honestly has taught me about the way God the Father loves each of us. But there's a strange problem about domestic infant adoption that people, I think, don't think about. There's a sort of soft stigma against it. So while most people have a very strong, positive view of adoption and they view birth mothers as heroes, the reality is that very few women choose to place their child for adoption. So it might be a good choice, even a brave and noble one, for someone else. And I would say that this problem is a cultural one and one that's deeply connected to the theme of the Culture Summit. You are here looking for signs of life, signs of hopefulness and beauty amidst painful and difficult circumstances. And you are also here because you're interested in engaging serious and difficult questions about issues that matter. And this year, as the Supreme Court may be poised to overturn the nearly 50-year-old precedent of Roe versus Wade, many people are talking and wondering about what a post-Roe world might look like. And adoption is often mentioned by people all across the ideological spectrum as something that everyone can get behind, as common ground. In fact, according to the National Adoption Attitude Survey, 86% of Americans have a favorable to extremely favorable view of adoption. But is it really common ground? Each year, less than 20,000 infants are placed for adoption. In fact, most women who choose not to parent viscerally reject adoption as an option. They say they could never give their baby away. They report that the thought of their baby being out in the world without knowing if it was being taken care of or by whom would induce more guilt than having an abortion. And the people that advise them, their family members, medical professionals, reinforce this abandonment narrative. So while less than 20,000 infants are placed for adoption, each year there are more than a million abortions. Those odds are 50 to 1. So despite society's very strong, positive, cultural view of adoption, the reality is that it's not an option for women. And meanwhile, for every one of those babies placed for adoption, nearly 50 couples wait to adopt. So what can we do to start the conversation and to help more people realize that adoption is an option? I can tell you about three initiatives that I'm involved with that are trying to move the needle and create conversation around this, di- this problematic dynamic of the soft stigma of adoption. OPT Institute is a national research foundation and think tank that's dedicated to studying this dynamic and to promoting infant adoption. I Am That Kid, you just saw the video, that's a a video campaign that's aimed at giving adopted children a voice to proclaim gratitude for the courage of their birth families and to say, it is good that I am here. 
And adoption is an option, is a movement of adoption-focused organizations that are committed to changing the view of private infant adoption. My hope is that by becoming aware of this 50 to 1 ratio, people will actually start to question their thinking about the actual choice of adoption, not just the theoretical idea of it, but the actual choice of it, and ask, what is it about our culture that stigmatizes a mother and makes her feel guilty for continuing her pregnancy and placing her child for adoption? Why don't more women choose it? We have to admit, uh, adoption occurs in brokenness. It involves an enormous sacrifice. But as John and Lori witnessed, and as I witnessed to you today, adoption can be the occasion for great healing and great blessing. We know from the example of Christ himself that pouring out oneself in love for the good of another is always redemptive. Adoption is, as Pope John Paul II called it, a great work of love, not abandonment, a great work of love. Adoption also reminds us that all children are gifts, that all loving parenthood is sacrificial, and that all of us are brothers and sisters to one another in God the Father. So I want to share with you a personal story that has forever stood for me as a sign of life, of the beauty of adoption and its capacity for healing. My husband, Bill, and I were at the hospital ready to return home when our first child was born, and we left the birth mom's hospital room. We wanted to give her and her family you know, some time alone together, and so we walked down the hallway, and we were just filled with so many emotions. We were overjoyed because after so many years of longing for a child, we had finally held our little son who was and is an answer to many prayers. We were also nervous because we wanted to live up to the trust that his birth family had placed in us by choosing us to be his parents. And we were also heartbroken because we had come to love the birth mother and her family, and we knew, even if we couldn't fully understand, the pain of the goodbyes that they were sharing in that hospital room. And so we were whispering all these things to one another, and a woman at the nurse's desk motioned us to come over, and we went over thinking there was some paperwork to fill out, and she said, you're the adoptive parents, right? And we said, yes, and she said, I'm a birth mom. It was the last thing I expected her to say. And she went on to tell us that she had her son 40 years ago, that she wasn't ready to be a mother. She said, it was not an easy decision, but it was the best decision I ever made. She went on to tell us about how she had later married and had more children, and her grown son contacted her. And She said that he was thriving and happy, and the whole time she spoke, her face was just radiant with joy. I am a birth mom. And so at the very moment that my son's birth mom was giving him a kiss and her last goodbye, we were being given this glimpse of the beauty and the capacity for healing that adoption had in it. So what I want to say is that we need more witnesses 
like that mother and like John and Lori, to the beauty of adoption, to the fact that it is a sign of life. Signs that cry out that brokenness is not the end of our story. And that healing and redemption is possible even in the most difficult circumstances. Signs like more women who are proud to say, I am a birth mom. And signs like more people who get to say, I am that kid. Well, thanks again for listening on this Right to Life weekend to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons and such an important talk there from this past spring's Culture Summit. As many of us then were anticipating the reversing of the Roe versus Wade decision 49 years prior that legalized abortion in all 50 states. And of course, that was overturned this past summer. That again was a talk from Elizabeth Kirk, director of the Center for Law at the Columbus School of Law and working with the Opt Institute to promote adoption as an option. Now, even with the overturning of the Roe versus Wade decision, thanks to the Dobbs decision, the battle for life continues. And Gabe, it was really shocking listening to Elizabeth as she mentioned the stats on abortion and adoption. Less than 20,000 infants placed for adoption in a year, but there's been over 1 million abortions. So the 50 to 1 odds, that's what we're talking about. How do we start to create within our communities, our churches, our friend groups, our relationships, the idea that adoption is normal. It shouldn't just be an exception anymore. This is going to have to become a normative part of how we live our lives. And so I want to encourage you, go to optinstitute.org. I want you to watch some of those stories. Uh, Consider watching it with your family. Listen back to this talk as you grapple with what is our role in society? How do we be a part of the solution now? How do we not just complain that things have changed or be, be people who are concerned about areas that you can't make a difference in and say, I'm going to be a person that makes a difference. So you can watch this talk as well at Q Media. You can watch many other conversations we've had around this topic of abortion over the years. You can get a free trial at qideas.org slash trial, and you can have entire conversations around multiple talks we've had on this topic over the years. But go to optinstitute.com. and check out their work and their resources as we all play a part in helping more and more of our friends and our relationships know that adoption is an option. Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.